right, three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Failure Friday. As you can see, we are trying a different setup, and I love it. I'm going to talk to our guest today looking this way and talk to you guys looking that way. Super excited. We also have one of my best friends here in Jacksonville today, Miss Jasmine. And I'm so happy she's with us. She has so many experiences that she can draw from. She's incredibly oh interesting and a great speaker. speaker. I know, I'm, I'm curious on, I try not, I give people precursor questions so that they're not super stressed out going into this and let them know that it's casual, but I don't read them because I want this to be organic as possible. I have no idea what you're about to fucking say, so I'm super excited. But just to recap what this is, Failure Friday is a podcast, it's my brainchild. Uh, stems from a conversation we used to have at the dinner table as children and it's really its purpose is to bring vulnerability and authenticity to the table where my friends clients and sometimes strangers can share their brands and talk about times they fucked up and hopefully help other people that are in the same road heading down heading in the same direction and get them on the right path maybe save them some time uh, but Jasmine, I don't even know how you want to describe yourself. How would you describe yourself, Jasmine? Let's start with that. Give me in a few words or many who you who are, you are and what you makes you special. Oh, I love a few words or many. It gives me options. I need those. Um, well, I am literally a woman. I just hear that song playing as I say it. I'm a mom. I am a student. I'm a student of many things, but especially learning myself and people around me. And I'm a caretaker and a model. And um, I'm loving and I'm learning tolerance. And I'm also, uh, and I didn't know if I was going to share this, but I feel like it is appropriate and it is who I am. And I'm really grateful to be one. I'm also a recovering alcoholic. Um, I practice the steps of AA and I love my village. And yeah, that's the long short version i'm a really good mom i love my girls and um you're an amazing mom thank you so are you momming is like a gift and a project all the time <laughs> definitely a project it is the greatest art that i've ever yes been able to paint or draw you mess up constantly but then you just add on to the to the masterpiece i would also add on that you are probably one of the most emotionally intelligent people that i know which I'm sure we'll reveal in this conversation at some point. But what do you want to talk today? Talk about today, Jasmine. What failure do you want to educate us on? Tell your story. You know, I definitely think that I would probably talk about just time and the essence of it and how important it is and a lot of introspection because, you know, throughout my life, I fear. Well, let's go with fear. I think that fear was my strongest, most aggressive trait that was driving every decision I made. Fear of failure, so I just quit everything. And as soon as something got hard, I started catastrophizing in my brain, like, I'm not meant to do this. I can't do this. I'm not going to mess up, so I don't look a certain kind of way, so I won't try at all. And then, you know, time just kept happening like it does, and then it happened again. And fast forward now, here we are, you know, a decade or so into my adulthood. And I always wanted to be the hare in the race because I thought like, they're tricking us. You know, the hare's moving quick. The hare's gonna get there first. And I used to run full speed at anything and everything. It didn't matter what it was. If it was good or bad, I didn't even care. I wasn't paying enough attention. Um, maybe I was paying attention, but I didn't value myself. And now I'm like baby steps with, you know, intentions in the right direction. And I used to be so afraid that if I stopped moving, I would be stuck and I would change and I wouldn't grow. And I realized that that's not even an option. We are constantly evolving, constantly changing. And for that, I'm really grateful because I'm always on a constant learning curve. You know, I used to want to get off the roller coaster and now I'm just like deep breaths. The roller coaster is happening whether I like it or not. And I get to choose, you know? So yeah, just time. The roller coaster is part of it. Huh? But give us an example. It doesn't have to be a painful one. Oh, um, one that's okay. relatable. You know, I will talk about modeling for me. Uh, since I was a little girl, I was very shy. And like, I didn't like. I liked, you know, taking pictures and dancing around with my cousins and my family. And but I didn't like big crowds. I didn't like all eyes on me. I was very, very nervous once the spotlight was on me. Um, so then that's, when I that's so interesting because that is not. That is absolutely so different than how I. I can't even imagine you. Even your daughters aren't like that. Well, yeah, Aria, Aria is. is. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of people will say that like you come off very confident. I'm a Leo rising, so my initial personality is I think like that because I'm pretty open, so I don't really feel like there's no, there's a lot for me to feel uncomfortable about because here I am. This is who I am, what I am, etc. But in modeling, you know, when I was 18 years old, I had such this desire to be skinny, and I wanted to be a New York model. I wanted five eleven, size zero and a half, like I wanted all those things. High high fashion. Yeah, I, and I thought I'm fat. So I mean, I spent. I got signed to an agency, which was really fun, cool, took some pictures with them. And then they started booking me for like legitimate modeling jobs, not just like these fun little young show your body off things, like legitimate little tykes and um, Johnson and like different things, like playing the young mom role. And I, in pictures, I literally would get in the mirror and like, get like this. And then I would do like 50 sit-ups and I would do another like little testing how I looked and then I would just not show up. I didn't explain, I didn't call, I didn't care about anybody else's time or money or efforts. I just didn't show up. And I did that a lot until they dropped me, which was hard um, because of course you want to blame other people or I wanted to blame other people. But I realized that my my self-image was so negative and just the toxicity in my head of like, you look fat. And I didn't, obviously they picked me, they signed me, they wanted me to do the shoot, but I definitely minimized and lost a lot of opportunities because I was having such negative dialogue with myself, my inner critic. And um, now looking back, fast forward, I'm with three agencies, all women owned, which is a little hand clap, in three different states. And I just, I love it. And even now I go to photo shoots and sometimes it's with multiple women and they're all stunning and beautiful. And the young me would have felt already isolated, intimidated, judged, just, just afraid. And now I go in and I'm still pretty calm and collected, but I just go in and I talk and I am who I am. And I just love being in a room full of feminine, strong, beautiful, fun energy. Know, like, I, it's a great I get, I get a lot of strength from rooms like that. Yeah. I, I would definitely say my my niche, like where I draw my most power is from successful, confident women. Because I, I think it's natural that we don't always feel like that, right? Like I don't think any, even the most confident women always feel like that. But if you get a room full of good women who are rooting for each other, it's just like you it's like a fire and everyone's the embers. Everyone's feeding off of each other. It's that song you really love and they're dying up and then you repeat that shit and you're like, yes, that's that kind of thing. So in the thick of it, when you were um, struggling with your self-image, was that before or after kids? And did it get worse after kids? Um, Before and yes, uh, before kids. I just, again, I went from a very um, diverse environment as far as race and then to a prominently Caucasian environment. So a lot of what I saw, what I found, even back then in the 90s, I thought, you know, tall, skinny, had a certain look, blonde, and then Mariah Carey happened. And I was like, oh, she's perfect, and I want to be just like her. And even then, I still <laughs> feel like I looked like her, but it was representation for me, the first time ever seeing somebody like me, big time. And I loved all of her music, and I danced, etc. But I literally remember, I, I just had this odd feeling that I was big. So even then, my high school boyfriend was, you know, 5'9", not, not a big man. So I always felt big. I always, I was taller than all the boys. I was older. I had my girls for in eighth grade. I got boobs. Like, I just became a woman at a very young age. And I was bigger than a lot of people in my class. In my mind, I just always I, I feel that. You know, and I didn't have, you know, I love my parents now, but I didn't have that reinforcement at home. Like, I have strangers though. It's, oh, she's so beautiful. But I didn't get that, excuse me, I didn't get that language at home. You know, it wasn't reinforced from people that mattered. So... That took a lot from my self-confidence. And then after having my daughters, my body changed. And changes I wasn't expecting. Uh, like I have stretch marks. What, what weren't you expecting? Oh, the stretch marks? Okay, fair enough. And I would just grow and then, you know, shrink again. And I thought, you know, I'll only gain 10 pounds because I'm so anal, but here's the thing about, about my weight. Here's my thing about my pregnancy. I got pregnant with my first daughter and because my need to want to control I, only thing I thought I could control was what I ate. So if I had, which really in hindsight, I wasn't controlling anything, I was eating all my emotions. So if I had a bad day, I was eating. If I had a great day, I was eating. Like, so I gained probably almost 60 pounds with my first daughter, which is like- So did so I. Did I. Yeah. Way, way too much. Own, yeah, has her own walk of life. But for me, it was bad on my knees. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I don't put the stigma on what you should weigh or not weigh when you're pregnant. Like wait, for the thing- No, that, no, shit, that was shit was painful. painful. Yeah, that shit, that was, shit was painful. painful. Yeah. yeah. In my heart, I was just like so far removed from the image I thought I saw in the mirror, you know? Um, yeah, the stretch marks really, that was like really hard to swallow. And, you know, because you have this perpetuated image of perfection that's 
nobody's ever going to achieve it, but I just thought that I would, my body would just go back to the way it was before and I wouldn't have to worry about that. And then I did. Um, and then my second daughter, I only gained 20 pounds because my body was like, girl, you know, gain another 50 pounds. Well, I think it's also important to note that our kids and yours included are incredibly close together. Like my kids are only 18 months apart and I think yours are the similar. Yes. So when I was very upset when I got pregnant with Artis, like I was because I was just getting in a place, I was close to Wonderland. Like I was 204 pounds when I found out I was pregnant and I was like, shit, I'm never ever going to get back to Wonderland. Like I, now I'm about to go gain all this weight back. I was so depressed. I think, I mean, body image when you're pregnant, I mean, it, luckily we live in a time now where there's so many Instagram pages and everyone's real supportive, but honestly, I didn't want to hear that shit. Like, I didn't want people to tell me like, enjoy it, you're beautiful still. Like, I didn't feel like it. Yeah, it's in your head. It's like the narrative that we have in our heads, but it's so deep in there. It's a lot of like, unprogramming is what I'm learning now, like in reprogramming my mind to have a positive conversation through it all, you know, and like, and the moments creep in where I'm really feeling negative about myself, I just look up talking there, you know, but that never existed in the past. Um, definitely my body changing. It was it was a hard pill to swallow, but again, fast forward, here I am now with I still have the same body, but I actively put love into it. You know, I work out, I, I eat relatively clean because I always crave like healthy food. I just overindulge when I indulge. Um, but I eat relatively clean and I move my body and like my sponsor, now called Sam, is your sponsor and I just thank God for her. But mm -hmm. she told me like, move your body three days a week. So I love to dance. So I put, and I'm I'm relearning my sexuality and all of these things. So I put a mirror in my living room and a lot of, sometimes when I have the girls, like I'll dance around for fun because I show them like getting out of my funk, I need to move my body, I need to dance. And I put the same song on sometimes I interpret dance, like very long and sexy and calm and sweet. And other times I'm like twerking in my mirror when it's just me and I'm like showing my body, showing myself like, girl, you can have all of this and still love every facility, you know, and still improve, still. I want to be physically healthy. I have two small daughters. Like, you know, when they're older, I want to be able to move my body and have a good time with them and be physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy. And I think all of those things go hand in hand. So when I was pregnant, I lacked physical side so, so, so much. And I was already, mentally and emotionally not where I needed to be long before I had kids, but I was so unaware of these things because again, I was running full speed. Every time it got dark, I just ran further away versus turning around and facing the darkness in the tunnel, you know? So where do you, when did that start? Darkness in the tunnel? Was that, was that childhood? No, running away from things when they got hard. Was that childhood? Absolutely. When, do you, when, do you, when, was, the when was the first time you remember doing that? I remember the first time I remember doing that. It was, it was when I first started playing sports and I saw that there was other girls that were better than me. I was like, well, I can, it's never gonna matter if I don't really try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I won't look like I don't know what I'm doing if I just don't try. If I yeah. just, yeah. I just, if I just pretend I don't, I don't give a shit, then. Yep, yeah, play, play it too cool. And that never really worked out for me. I skipped school all the time and, you know, I excel, I'll give you the, where it came up for me. I accelerated in English and in writing and reading comprehension, all of that to just fine. But in science, I was fine. It wasn't great, it was just doing my science. But in math, oh my gosh, I never, never. Like, and my brothers were both in all accelerated classes, both of them incredibly intelligent. So that really took, it's again, my negative inner critic took a toll on me and I felt so much less than them so I just started skipping my math classes like and I remember in my my senior year my teacher was like listen to me I had English first period math second and then my creative writing third so I would skip or go to English because I love my English class and my teacher I would skip math I would literally go in the parking lot smoke do whatever I was doing and then I would go to my creative writing classes of course I loved my like ability to write whatever came to my mind and my math teacher finally was like listen to me I will pass you if you come to my class because I used to go and get very frustrated because I would do the problems and he'd write them on the board and then he'd be like, okay, well, that's the right answer. But like how you got to it is not what I just spent an hour teaching you. And I'm like, well, <laughs> at least I got the right answer. And I wouldn't and like cheat, I would actually try. But once I got to this like defeated attitude, I was just like, F this, I'm done. Doesn't matter if I fail or pass, I don't care. You know, um, that was the first time that I experienced a little bit of a uh, strife. And I was like, eh, I'm out, can't do hard things because hard things Hard things overwhelm me and I don't know how to regulate my feelings, so I'm gonna quit now, you know?
which obviously doesn't work out in the long run in my pants time and things like that. But that was my plan of action. Quit as soon as I felt discomfort. Is that insecurity in math still permeate into your life today? No, actually it is not. Um, well, that's another, helpful. Oh, it's so helpful. But that took, time takes time. And I'll just add this in. These cliche sayings used to piss me off, irritate me, like just get on my nerves. And I've come to realize over the last two, almost two years, they're cliche for a reason. It's because people repeat them because they are true, because people have witnessed mm -hmm. these things happen, right? And time takes time is one of the most common ones that I hear and I'm told. And honestly, I remember I just recently had a math class and I was panicking because I was like, I don't remember this, I don't know how to do this. Like it was one particular test and I'm at the tail end of the semester. And I called my sponsor and I was catastrophizing. I started thinking, I'm not meant to do this. I was, this isn't my purpose. I was just making this big fuss. And she goes, well, how about you just finish the class and then we'll decide from there if this is what you should or shouldn't be doing. And I'm like, okay, I could do that, you know, and whatever. And um, I did and I passed the class just fine and I did just fine on the test. And I, I mean, I studied, I put in the time and the effort to pass this class. And I had to realize that, you know, I didn't have to do that in my English, psychology, humanities, but in my math class, the extra time I don't need for these classes, I had to commit. And this is the first time in my life where I recognized like, it's okay to feel a little bit anxious or overwhelmed or scared. You can feel these things, they will pass, you know? And then I used to hear a lot, it takes a village, it takes a village, but through my experiences as a child, I didn't want a village. I didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust anybody with my kids, that's for sure. I didn't trust anybody with my own personal emotions. You know, it was easy for me to explain the things I'd gone through in my life, but I would just tell them like, yeah, that was my life, this is the story, but I didn't add the feeling stuff, so transparency, was very um, surface level because I was fine with telling people my story, but it was really hard to show how much my story affected me. So now fast forward. Which, which super is super valuable. valuable for people that are trying to sell their story to get people to relate to you. You have to be vulnerable. Yeah. Otherwise it's, it seems fake. Yeah, it doesn't have, it doesn't hold any weight. You know, whether the, all these things happen, you can mostly assume it obviously is gonna affect a person, but I definitely had a very hard time trusting that if I gave you my vulnerability because this was a part of my childhood, if I let you in, it was automatically assumed that you were gonna hurt me. So I had this like wall that I didn't even realize was up because I thought, well, I'm sharing everything that I've gone through. There we know, but I wasn't showing any, like a lot of feeling behind it because I was terrified. So that kind of numbed me and forced me to go inward all the time, which internalized everything. But with the village, I realized that like, you can pick your village. So a lot of how I get through my life now is my village, my women here in Jacksonville. Like, even in the beginning of everything I was going through a couple of years ago, I reached out to you because your profession. I was like, I need help. I need, you know, but old me would not have done it because I needed my life to appear that I was fine because I am, you know, the strong one and I'm the one who's got it together and I'm okay and everything's okay and I'm going to figure it out. But I was unraveling quickly and now I have, you know, a village of women around me that truly adore me and want the best for me and see a lot of amazing things in me that I myself. Once again, that negative self-critic, I don't always recognize, you know, and I, I will beat myself up before I pat myself on the back. And it's not about ego. It's about having gratitude for the blessings and the, you know, things that you, we will all receive that gift us. And you have to recognize that to be able to share it. And for me, yes. I was just so unaware and angry and just a lot of resentment towards myself and guilt and shame and others that I couldn't even recognize you know, human decency in myself at different points because of some of my moral compass that was straight when I was 20, you know? <laughs> I was a young girl. Well, I well I, it's interesting. It's interesting that you brought up that first meeting because I don't think I've ever shared with you, but that first meeting struck me. It was so refreshing and it was supposed to be like a 30 minute meeting. Cause I remember I totally missed my appointment after it, but it was the first time that I'd ever sat across from someone who in my mind appeared had everything under control. You're gorgeous. You had the lifestyle that most women covet, but you were just so down to earth. But what struck me was you laid out, you had a literally written down everything you didn't know and you showed it to me. And that takes me hours to get out of people because of ego. Ego is, just so overbearing in so many of us. I think it's the world we live in. I don't think it's something that we can help. It's just social media and it, the world is about me, 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 I, 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 and people just don't know how to be wrong. 
That is one of my strengths is if I don't know something, I'd be like, I don't fucking know, but I'm going to go find out. And it was just so, it was such a breath of fresh air to sit across from someone who's just like, hey, I know what I don't know. This is what I don't know. Can you help me? Like that was just, oh, that struck me so hard because it was like, okay, I don't have to spend hours breaking you down so I can figure out what I have to help you fix. And so that was super refreshing, but I want to go back to something you said, and it was reprogramming. So part of this podcast is helping people that are in a similar situation. Jasmine hasn't chosen to give us like one big failure, but, she but she's chosen, chosen an, issue. an issue that so many of us deal with in the sense of giving up on something before you even really give it a shot. So what specific tools, it sounds like reprogramming is probably the general solution, what specific tools can you give someone who has this tendency to cope with it, to fix it? Um, well, definitely don't quit before the miracle. And I would, I just made a vision board, which I'm so proud of because it, for me, I'm a very visual person. It showed me how clear my vision is. And it just was, that was empowering, like truly. And once again, the village, I reach out to people when I am unraveling up here, you know, and and I now have like a list of, okay, I know if I put this kind of music on, it'll change my mood. Like, and you have to practice these things and it's okay not to always get it right, but I do my best. The only way I'll change the things is by doing my best to do what I know to do next, which is call my sponsor, call the nurse I work with who's phenomenal, call my friends and bounce the stuff that's going on in my head off of somebody. And then usually they can walk me off the ledge. And the beautiful thing about the program that I'm in is that my friends call me do the same thing so I can walk them off the ledge. And that is really huge for when you're feeling overwhelmed or afraid of something or you're doubting yourself. And you, especially when you've grown up in like, you know, a potentially dysfunctional or toxic environment, you've had a lot of negativity kind of drilled into you, whether it was verbally or you witnessed it, it was modeled to you. It's really, really easy because that's comfortable. And the problem with comfort is that a lot of times the things we're comfortable with are just really hurting us, but we're so accustomed to them that it's almost like being numb to the pain, but you you're being hurt. The devil so I you definitely know. think reaching out to others and kind of dialing back to like why you started in the first place. You know, because for me, I get back to the baseline and I think I know what catapulted me into the space I'm in in my life right now. But long, long before I got here last 15 years old I wanted to be a child psychologist I worked with kids back then I saw the power of the mind for a young person and I wanted so badly to take all these little tiny humans and like nurture them and teach them that it's going to be okay through the hard things and where I volunteer at there's kids 13 to 17 can't speak a lot on it but they're 13 to 17 years old and they grew up very similar to how I grew up and you know being able to show them like there is a path and it is going to be okay this does not have to be your life you don't you won't be up under this environment for the rest of your life so if you just hold on to hope and work go to school you know focus and you'll be okay but i wanted to be able to do more with those kids like a lot more so i had to really realize okay what's my path in life and now that i feel like i can feel my purpose like oozing out of my soul which is honestly like i'm magnificent feeling I will not quit and it's hard well, what is it actually, what is your purpose say it out loud well I'm going to school to be a holistic nurse so I want to work with the youth and do preventative measures like I want to work with a functional medicine doctor who will teach our youth how to do breathing techniques and meditation and herbal medicines versus oh you're 15 you're having anxiety here's Adderall here's Xanax and I am not anti-medication you know by any means but their power of breathing is truly incredible and even down to Literally, I do sight words with my daughter's classroom and some kids come out fidgety and they're a little nervous and I'm not a therapist, so I don't I don't overset my boundaries, but I just say, I'm gonna take a deep breath. You wanna do one with me? And they just and you just watch the energy kind of slow down. Whatever's spinning in their wheels and they don't know the word, it just calms for a second. I think that I want to positively impact versus intervening constantly, I want to prevent. I want to teach our youth like, yo, life isn't going to be a kickwalk. And there'll be days and months and years and it might feel like that. There's also going to be days and months and years where it feels like pain and it feels like sorrow and it feels like disappointment. And you will and can get through that. And you can and will get through that without adding an addictive substance to that. Because, you know, as an addict myself, I see so, I mean, so many people. And as a young girl, I was put on different medications and I didn't agree with it. So I resisted as much as I could, but 
I remember thinking, like, I remember I was in a facility and there was these three and four-year-old children. And I said to the nurse, why are these kids here? And she's like, because they have issues and the parents don't want to take care of them. And I was 15 and I was so soul crushed because they're going and sleeping in these rooms and there's nobody with them. And, you know, I really realized that there are so many different ways to help our youth. And I really want to be a part of the little ripple effect and showing them like life will be okay. And you can make that a part of it, you know? And one of the biggest takeaways from my purpose is I want to show them like not every burden is yours to carry, you know? And for me as a young girl, I thought, I had resentments towards any sort of higher power and I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I had so many resentments and fears again, and I had no idea of safety. I grew up in a violent home, you know, I, was, I had violent partners. I had no idea what safety was. And we practiced that a lot with the kids that I, I volunteer with. But I also want to teach them like, not just about being safe, but about being a human, about being a teenage girl and that boy not liking you. We don't have to focus on that. And that can be extremely overwhelming for a 15 year old girl or, you know, a 16 year old boy who, doesn't know how to drive, or doesn't know how to communicate or what have you. And um, I want to be a positive impact on our youth and show them like, you can do this and you will be okay. You know, and like suicide prevention and just preventing more people who get dependent on things to cope with life because there are several different mechanisms that will help you cope. You just have to practice. So what role would you say that safety has in your tendency to run away from commitment or challenge? Wow, um, that's a good question and I'm trying to think of how to answer it. You know, okay, I'll use this example. When I first got sober, I went into a room full of, mostly, uh, not people that didn't look like me. There was nobody that looked like me in the room, so to say, right? I was young, somewhat young people, but for the most part, I was just like, I felt very naked in this room. And I remember one day I shared and all of a sudden I felt my little head, I just wanted to like tuck in and hide because I had this very vulnerable <laughs> moment. And I immediately, I went from feeling incredibly safe to, and this wasn't my first time sharing, this was you know months in, to feeling very- You're talking, you're talking about AA, right? Exposed. Yeah, raw and exposed. Okay, okay. And I realized that was my head. That was my head telling me like, you're not safe, but why wasn't I safe? So safety is, is huge because how can you, because safety equates to expression, right? So whether you express yourself through art, through movement, through conversations, through you know having your house cleanly, whatever your version of safety is, or expression is, excuse me, you have to feel safe to be able to open up, to be able to express yourself. And for me, I had no comfort space to express myself. So I think that the role safety plays for me now is that I'm creating a foundation of what my safe space looks like, which I have in my mind, a visual safe space. So when I meditate, when I breathe, when I'm feeling overwhelmed or scared, I visualize this safe place and tell me it is magic that my safe place is stunning. And my little jazz, she's there. And, um, but that's the way I express myself. For me, I have to feel safe to express myself. And I think a lot of individuals are the same, especially young people, because imagine trying to tell somebody, oh, you know, I really like the color blue. And they're like, oh, you shouldn't like that color. It's horrible. Or they're mean to you about it. Or they're, you know, they hurt your feelings about it. How, how can you ever now say what you like, say what you think, say how you feel, express yourself, show how you feel. And that's huge. You know, if you don't express yourself, you're suffocating on the inside and you don't even know how to say that you're suffocating. Personally, I'm, I'm speaking outwardly, but I'm mostly talking about myself. No, yeah, I totally get it. So to kind of organize this for our audience, it seems like some tools that you could take away from this to help cope with, to help cope with this, something that I've struggled with myself is, one, having a community of just pillars that you can pour into, but keyword to something that you said, and then I, I want, to make sure everyone takes away from is those pillars have to give back what you pour into them as well. I I don't remember where I read this or where I heard this, but it has stuck with me and it will stick with me for the rest of my life. It might've been you, honestly, that before I unload on someone, I need to intentionally ask them, are you prepared to take on my heaviness? Are you prepared to take on what I'm about to tell you? And then when someone wants to unload on me, be very transparent and create that boundary where I can say, I look, I'm having a rough day at work or you know, the market's been going down since Thanksgiving. I can't mentally in this space handle, I can't be who you need me to be right now. So I think that when you have 
this community, when you're building this, this uh, realm of safety that is so necessary for, for so many things we deal with, but specifically commitment and overcoming challenges, which is just a part of being a successful adult, a functioning adult, you have to make sure that your pillar, you are not a burden to your pillars. We've all been that person and we've all been the person that gives and the person that takes, and it is not a, a reciprocated relationship. So I think that's important too. The people you're pouring into, Jasmine, are welcoming. Yes. I think that that's important, but more important than being a burden, because I, I don't want to say I don't like that word, but I feel like that intimidates a lot of people to express like, this is what I'm feeling. It's more about, for me, taking the suggestions of the people that I'm leaning into. I'm asking, I'm talking to these people about my problems because I trust them, one. Two, I respect them. Three, they've probably been in a similar situation as me, so they have literally life experience. And four, I want their constructive advice. I want their suggestions. So when the time comes, you know, in six months or three days or two weeks or what have you, the goal is that I've acted on what they've taught me, literally, they're teaching me something, so I don't come to them with the same problem because then it's a burden. We're always going to have some mm -hmm. sort of suffering in life, or I'm always. So literally, I come to my sponsor with something new or something similar a lot, but it's because the first time around she gives me suggestion to do something or how to handle something, I listen to that. Or, you know, the nurse I work with, who, again, I respect and admire a lot, I listen to it. So the next time I follow up with something, it's not the exact same problem. So it's not a burden, you know, and also it's about being able to be open and honest and that oh, helps okay. people too. Because if you can't keep it real about whatever it is that you're doing, it's really hard to actually commit to something because you can't find, you know, stop on the merry-go-round. It's like, where do I get off and actually do what I said I need to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and a sub bullet to that is ask for constructive criticism. I, for the people that I trust, my, my, when, and you're one of them, one that I've shared, even trivial issues in my life, I always ask for, all right, how should I handle this? Because one thing I struggle with, I'm great at giving y'all advice. I'm really bad at taking my own advice. Like I need, if I know, even if I know what I need to do, I need, you know, her to tell me to do it. I need someone else to say it. I'm like, all right, yeah, and now, now I can do it because I have someone else co-signing what I already thought I needed to do. So that's, that speaks to that. I, you need those pillars in your life. A second thing you said was breathing, which I've actually never um, talked about. I did not discover the power of breathing. This is gonna sound real corny to some of y'all, but hear me out. Breathing is so powerful. I started researching it when I was seven and a half months pregnant with our daughter and uh, my first child. And I decided I was so, when I tell y'all, I was so pitifully insecure in my pregnancy. I mean, I hated my body. I hated it. I cried all the time. I would, I would uh, have sex in a shirt. Like I was, I hated my, I wouldn't look in mirrors. Um, I said, you know what? I need to find a way to show myself that, to pull myself out of this because this is not healthy. It's not gonna be healthy for my baby. So I made the decision to have my child naturally. And it was never, I was, oh, I'm pro drugs, y'all. I am pro drugs. But I decided to do it and I was seven and a half months pregnant and I was like, all right, how, how the fuck are people doing this shit? And I Googled it, I did all the research and it was breathing. That just seemed so silly to me, but I I kept going. I did, it, I did the um, they're on YouTube. They have little free like meditation apps where you breathe in, breathing out. And let me tell y'all, childbirth, natural childbirth is difficult. But if you can breathe, if you really know how to breathe in and control your breath work, there was never a moment giving birth to Kenny where I cried. I was I until after she came out. I mean, I bossed that birth up. You can ask my doula. It wasn't hard, but it, I mean, it wasn't easy, but it definitely was not difficult. And this is gonna be TMI, but I want y'all to try it if you're watching this, because it was one of the exercises they gave me when I was researching this. Next time you have to take a shit, just sit up straight and breathe in real deep and breathe in out real slow and just keep doing that. And you will feel your body just naturally, you don't have to strain. Like it's, I know that's TMI. I know, I know that's, that's so, so TMI, but other places you can do that and feel the natural re relaxation in case anybody well, wants tell to do that. <laughs> do I it. mean, honestly, in your car, like there's a lot of times where I'm in a space of overwhelm and I happen to be driving 
And I literally will sit there and I have to. And there's, I recently, I used to have panic attacks back in the day when I was, especially with my ex who was very violent towards me. And I had panic attacks all the time. I couldn't breathe. And now fast forwarding, I used that, like not breathing was a major trauma response for me. And I, I could hear myself subconsciously go breathe, but then I had to take a deep breath because I wasn't breathing because I was freaking out. And now it's a conscious action and you sit. And a lot of the times I do this in front of the mirror, I watch myself breathe or like when I'm working out, I see my breath controlled and I feel how much easier it is to get through a strenuous workout because I am breathing. And, you know, once again, meditating and breathing, you can literally do that at any given time. But I'm in the kitchen and the girls are screaming and yelling in the background. And I have to take a few deep breaths to, that's the pause. That's the pause and now the, the way I want to react with my feelings the pause is the way that you breathe. So the breathing is so monumental and really, truly powerful and helpful. And honestly, a lot of chakra aligning and changing and healing comes from the way that you breathe, you know? That's an area I know so little about. Um, I know chakra, sh- chakras is, how many of them are there? Or I sound like a total, total idiot. idiot. Hold on, let me just, let me use my own body to count. Okay. okay. Seven, eight. 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 There's eight. And does, does it just represent? I'm not, you know, I'm not the master of chakras. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not pretending to be, but this is important. And if you've never heard of it, worth re- looking into. And to my understanding, chakra is just how energy flows through our body. Yeah. So I'll use the example. I um, did a breathwork session with a group of women. And we practiced, we sat in front of each other about this far apart in the, uh, life size and said, I forgive you for, I forgive you, Jasmine, for running the stop sign. And then I would say, I forgive you, Jasmine, and, and vice versa with your partner. And after a while, everybody's stopping, like crying their eyes out. And then after that exercise, because it's, it's a power of like seeing and hearing somebody look you in your eyes and say, I forgive you, Jasmine, and then hearing yourself echo it back. So then after that exercise, we did a breathwork session and it's a lot of like conscious connected breathing, which is your mouth open the whole time in and out through your mouth. And I remember I started dry heaving and I hate throwing up, like absolutely despise it. So I remember I was driving, I went to the bathroom and I could not stop driving for five minutes. I was sobbing my eyes out because I was pissed. I was like, this hurts, my eyes are bulging, they're red. I want to stop this dry heaving. I walked back out and Clark, the breathwork instructor, is just this old man from Jamaica, just gentle light <laughs> in this life. He goes, you need the nurse? I'm like, no, he's like, good. It was, I, my, my throat chakra was so blocked from years and years and years of not being able to communicate my, how I was feeling and what was going on with me. Not even just not being able to, but like never ever being given permission as a young girl. And then as a young woman, just not ever knowing how to or wanting to and all, all these other factors went into it. But I cleared so much energy in that space and time. And, you know, another time, a lot of breathing during a um, sound bath that I went to, and she did it around the heart chakra. Wait, what's a sound, sound bath? bath. People, people, normal people don't know what that, know what that is. is. Sound baths are amazing as well. Another another natural way to practice healing mechanisms and get in touch with yourself. But there are these beautiful bowls. And this woman, she's a certified sound bath uh, practitioner. But she uses this mallet sort of to make create beautiful, just picture a wine glass, but way more better and fancy and acoustically uh, beautiful. She makes sounds with them and they create different vibrations, which again, travels different energy because we know that sound has energy. And um, she uses these beautiful sounds to create different energy. And while you sit there and you practice basically a meditation, and she typically did this sound bath around the heart chakra. And I was having some personal things with my heart. I called my sponsor and she goes, well, you go into that sound bath. So why don't you go ahead and take the time, meditate on it and see what you get after that. You know, pray about it, see what you get after that. And I felt my heart, I felt my heart chakra. And during the time where she was making the sounds to really like engulf the heart chakra, I felt it all. And by the time I came out of my hour of the sound bath, I had more clarity. You know, I had, I had a, oh, that was your gut feeling. Go with that. You know, I had a clarity on this was your soul telling you something. It's good. Just trust that. Trust yourself and keep moving forward, you know? So I definitely recommend, these are all just really natural ways to get in touch with the energy that's moving in our own bodies. And a lot of times, you know, it's really hard to recognize because we're constantly in emotion, in a system, doing something to recognize what being is actually like. And people always misconstrue like meditation and breathing for 
Like you have to be like the Dalai Lama, like the heat, you know how long that took you? Well, I'm really bad at meditating. It's really hard for me. It's, and I know it's something I just need to practice. Yes. And honestly, nobody is bad at meditating. One great way to get, to develop a way to calm your mind is while meditating, keep a, first off, set a timer because that just helps you know, like this will end at some point and then have a mantra. Like, you know, this year I'm going to have these many clients. If that's like something that this way, this year, I'm going to focus on building my portfolio, what have you. Focus on something like this year, I'm going to focus. So simple to simplify it down to this year, I'm going to focus. And then say that over and over. And then when you start thinking about, does Kenny have diapers or pull-ups? You go back to, I'm going to focus. It's training your mind to stay in the space that you're in and utilizing either a guided meditation, which is really helpful, or a small word or mantra helps you go back to it. We're all gonna stray. Even though I practice meditation, I still have days where I stray. And I'm like, okay, I know a couple minutes has gone by and I'm not where I need to be. And then I, I double back. I double back down to being centered, which helps me in so many different ways. So do you feel like meditation, breathing, in addition to having your pillars in your community are all central to reprogramming and not just the behavior that you've talked about and sound baths. These are all things that have been useful for you in reprogramming these behaviors. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, it's forced me. Then this is what I'll say. It's, it's literally forced me to see myself in the mirror, not my traumas, not my mom, not my dad, not my husband, not my abusive ex-partner, not my kids, not my brother, not my career, just me just my soul, just something beyond this human form. And by creating that, it gives me discipline and it lets me know like, I cannot blame anything on anybody else. So how having a way to get in touch with my inner self, especially like little jazz, because we all have this pure innocence in us that, you know, a lot this of little kid to that we've totally hurt. Yeah, we've hurt. And a lot of people refer to this inner child as like our inner God, because some people do believe that we have a little spirit of the light in us. And I believe the spirit of the light. And, um, I, I'll give an example when I was practicing meditation and creating my safe space. Uh, I, at one point I did a psychodrama around my childhood and, you know, the therapist was saying to me, do you, would you talk to your daughters that way if they were going through something? And I said, no, I was a psychodrama. Um, a psychodrama is where you have different people act out different people in your life. So, you know, I had a friend act out my stepdad, a friend act out my mom, and a friend act out um, my dad. And then I was my younger where self. Where did you do this at? This That's intense. It is very intense, but it is incredibly healing. At a treatment center for trauma and alcohol or addiction recovery. And this place changed oh my, my gosh. life. I don't know and if I could get through that. Oh, you could, you could, we can do hard things. I, the feelings I thought were literally going to kill me. I now live with daily and I deal with, and I grow through and I'm learning through and they're falling off. I don't have anxiety anymore. I might have these minor moments where I get anxious and then I utilize my tools and then which I'm like, is oh, normal. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. But I used to live in this constant fear, which created constant, constant anxiety, lack of self-awareness, lack of self-love. But back to my meditation, we did this meditation. We did the psychodrama. And then I went back and did a meditation again around my safe space. And I remember, and I might cry a little bit, but I remember the first time I saw my little self and I was in like this very easy looking, like dark, but the walls were like very like art-like, like fluid, very fluid walls, but it was very dark. And I remember my therapist was talking to her and she was like, can you see a door? And I said, I need light. Wait, what the light. fuck? Were you in a psychosis? Were you meditating? I was I was in a, a hypnosis and I was meditating. Okay. But I remember I was terrified and I was like, I need light. I need light. I'm so afraid of this darkness that was around me. And she's like, can you see a door? And like that changed everything. And it opened up this oasis. And I saw my little self, still very scared, still very timid. But in this beautiful, I mean, like ginormous trees and waterfalls, and glitter and butterflies that like glisten and just, it was magic. And fast forward, that was before. And then fast forward to when I was in treatment, I was actively, you know, practicing meditation and different breathing mechanisms. And after the psychodrama and like really connecting with the fact that how I was treating my little self was, I was 
I was enforcing the fear. I was reinforcing that you should be afraid of things in your life and just not really giving any little part of my like gut, my intuition, my pure innocent self, any credit for getting to where I was at this point. So I remember during a meditation, after the psychodrama and doing some healing work, I was laying there and I was in my little safe space and I was running through these tall fields with my little self. I'm looking at her and she's she's there and she's alive and she's okay. And I had my daughters for the first time ever and I see them now quite often, but they were right there and they were alive and they were okay. And I, when I first saw my little self, I was like curled up in a fetal position, terrified. It was like I was not alive. And I, it was sad and hard and, like transformative because then I had to start practicing like how do you reroute this narrative I can't undo my life so I can't live in regret and depression and you know fear I can't undo any of the things I've already done and any of the things I've, I can't take away the fact that I had terrible experiences as a little girl happened to me I cannot undo those things what I can do is create a platform versus a prison for all of my pain you know that was so powerful but it took me getting to realize that this pain will not kill me. And I was terrified. I mean, I remember telling my breathwork practitioner, like, you know, I hear this sound, like this warning sound, whenever we start, you start pushing on my body, this is another thing, like getting energy spots while you're breathing. And he's like, it's okay, it's okay, you know? And like, he had asked me, when was the last time I was ever really terrified? And it was with my ex. And I never processed that. And immediately when he said that, and I've thought about these things a hundred times, but immediately when he said it, a safe space I was in, I just started sobbing. And recognizing where there was immense pain gave me the opportunity to say, okay, I can heal this if I try. If I can recognize that this will not kill me, you know? But it's it's fear. A lot of the failure, a lot of the reasons I failed was because I was terrified, not only to try, but to feel, to recognize that like, sometimes it's gonna be hard and you know, there's gonna be pain, but on the other side, a lot of times of sorrow is immense joy. And I never gave myself either one. I never got to feel immense joy because I was terrified of sorrow. I just lived somewhere right down the middle and I was very numb on the inside. And it doesn't aware. sound like you were terrified of sorrow. It sounds like you were comfortable with sorrow. Yes, yes. I, I was going to say, I, I remember feeling sorrow. I was I was very comfortable with sorrow because I knew sorrow. Sorrow and I were friends. I knew, you know, what it was like to live in the dark tunnel. And I was like, I don't want to move. I'm terrified. I don't know which way's forward and which way's backward. And, you know, the analogy that I used since I was 15 and then my breakthrough session at hypnotherapy, when I was 15 years old, I'd always say like, in the ocean, I'm treading water, I'm treading water, and I was, you know, I love swimming, I was a lifeguard, like, so it just made sense that that would be what I would say. And my high school boyfriend would be like, oh, you know, like, what the freak shocking mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm treading water constantly. And I remember after one of my hypno sessions, I came back to her and I was so excited because I was like, oh my God, you know, for the last 15 years, I have been saying this, I've been treading water, I'm in the middle of the ocean. It never, ever, ever, ever dawned on me. I just felt. You know, every once in a while, I could just lay back and float. I didn't have to constantly be struggling and constantly be fighting for fear that I would sink, for fear that I would just suddenly drown. Like, you can float, and when you float, you face the light and you feel the light. And I'm still in the middle of the ocean figuring out life, right? But I'm closer mm-hmm. than I was before, and I know now that in moments of panic, in moments of fear, in moments of anxiety, of stress, of overwhelm, of disappointment, of loss, of grief, I can float. I can ease into the pain. They're still going to be there, but I can just ease into it and go, okay, it's okay. That's hot. It's okay. It hurts. That's okay. And before you know it, you're like, oh, that doesn't hurt as much. You know, I'm not swinging the pendulum as far anymore. And it took me 15 years to add that piece to the, to the, to what I said. I didn't even, I never once, which it sounds so dramatic, but I'm not exaggerating when I say I never once thought, oh, for this, for this thought, you don't always have to constantly be treading water, Jasmine. You could just float. It never ever occurred to me. And I've been swimming since I was three. I learned how to swim before I could ride a bike. Like, but that's how in my own comfort of pain and fear and sorrow and disappointment that I was that I couldn't even imagine just knowing that I will get to the shore just the same. And at this point, healthier if I just sometimes ease into discomfort, you know? Yeah. So it, it sounds like to bring it all together that the failure that we discussed was just the fear of commitment, the fear of failing so that you just give up before you even really give it your all. 
and that started very early on. How old were you say when you? How old were you? How many years have had passed before you finally decided? All right, I'm going to utilize or educate myself on these different coping, healthy coping mechanisms, to conquer this this part of me. How long did it take you to get to that point? I mean, if we're not talking like from childhood, from young adulthood, ten years, you know. And as a child, which I always have to be careful because I would say I should have known better, but that's not realistic.、Um, but probably ten years from you know twenty to thirty, like. Just complete oblivion, and I did things to make sure I stayed oblivion. You know, it wasn't like I was unaware that I had pain and sorrow and fear and failure. I just was like, well, it is what it is. It is who I am, and I'm just going to deal with it the best way I can. And at the time, that was what I saw feasible. When I look back now, and I'm like, gosh, that girl was so unaware of beauty of life. You know, and like everything is a lot more vivid now because. I'm a lot more sober, and I don't just mean minus alcohol. I just mean mind, body, and soul. I'm here. I'm alive, and I can. So, who or what introduced you to this path of self-care, these holistic mechanisms? Like, how did they come into your life? It's not just something that you read on a cardboard box. So, my therapist, who I originally started seeing just because I was, you know, just really breaking down. And、uh, she was to introduce something called tapping to me, which I'm still not 100. I don't know exactly how it works. I don't practice that. But so that was the first time. And then I had another therapist from my younger days was like, you should really try EMDR. And I was like, I don't really know if I want to do that. It sounds kind of like EMDR. No,、uh, well, right?、Um, and wait, what, what does that stand for?、Uh, e I movement rapid. I don't know. I don't remember. You're putting me on the spot right now, and I know what it、I'm、is. Sorry, but it sounds intense. You can't just、uh, drop an acronym. You can Google it. it. Yeah.、Um, I'll Google it. God, pause. I、uh, movement. It's really great. I, I didn't practice it very Define long. Define EMDR. Because why? I movement desensitization and reprocessing. Okay, for me, it's a form of psychotherapy. Yes, for me, hypnotherapy and breathwork and meditation really, really took.、Um, when I was doing EMDR, I was having a hard time like、uh, getting getting to that place unconsciously with my subconscious. So I just kind of I steered away from it, honestly. And I did what works for me, and I know it works for me now.、And、I'll practice other things, really try them. Like that's how I came about the sound baths. But I found these types of therapy through my therapist. And then one day, I had been curious about hypnotherapy for a long time. And I just decided to look it up, you know. And it really—it was powerful. It was a very powerful、uh, addition to my healing practices. Yeah, I remember when I was a senior in high school. They for like senior day, where they have all the seniors in the cafeteria. They brought a hypnotherapist, and we all thought it was bullshit. Like literally, everyone thought it was bullshit. But they had. I'm, and I don't. I still don't know if it's real. I believe in hypnotherapy. I don't know if I believe. I guess. I mean, you know more than I do. I guess it probably affects some people easier than others. But like this man, this man had like the shyest girl in our class, like up there barking like a dog, like on the stage in the cafeteria. And I was like, I don't. I don't know. They make it all seem so clowny, and that's not what it is. No. Hypnotherapy is getting in touch with your unconscious mind and being able to reprogram that. And it's not erasing memories; it's reprogramming. You know, like for example, when I was in one of my sessions, we did a session around my mom, which is very touchy. My parents are a touchy subject、mm-hmm. for me. And I remember, as I was going, you know, further into the session, I said out loud, "Stop crying." And It was the most bizarre thing because I heard my mom's voice. I did not hear me at all. I, my voice became her voice, and I don't. My mom and I don't sound alike. And I was aware of it though. I wasn't like in La La Land barking. I was aware, but I couldn't stop it from happening because I was in such a relaxed state in between the subconscious and my conscious mind, and、um, the unconscious and my conscious mind. And I literally remember thinking, like, "Wow, like I. That's what I. That's what I've been hearing my whole life. Stop crying." So again, another form of me expressing myself, showing my feelings, had been shut down for so long, and that is the voice that was in my head, literally, 
over and over every time I felt scared, alone, sad, angry, confused, concerned, hurt, stop crying, you know? And so I just stopped allowing myself to feel things. And that's why when I drank, I cried. <laughs> so, um, no, I think it's hypnotherapy- okay. I cry a lot too. Yeah, but it's like, once again, nothing is for everybody. That's why there's multiple options. That's why we're individuals. Like some people, their therapy, their most healing is literally exercising every single day. Some people it's fishing. You know, there's so many different ways to practice ways to calm your nervous system because we live in such a society where it is not ever that calm. Yeah, and that's why that's why I'm really glad we're talking about these because these are not, I feel like these are taboo to some people, right? Like it's just, it seems so out there, but to, believe in something and then research it is a powerful combination and is the next step to application, right? It's just giving it a chance, being open-minded. And I feel like we've answered this last question already, but how has your experience, your devotion, your commitment to healing changed you as a person, as a mom, as a daughter, as a sister? You know, I think the best thing that it has caused me is to look at myself and and by being aware of like my negative, my, my coping mechanisms, my character defects, by becoming aware of those, it forces me to change, to learn how to react differently, to treat people differently, to, you know, change things about myself that don't sit right with my soul that make me feel, um, what is the word, like, it doesn't sit well with my conscious and I'm learning how in that sometimes those are small things like not big deals at all but every little thing works up to that so definitely coming to terms with things like that has helped me be a better person because I can look at myself and say okay here's a laundry list you're the common denominator in all of your problems so you know what are some things about yourself mm -hmm. that you need to work on and it's not a shaming yourself session that's not what it's about it's about being able to grow and change and ebb and flow with life and progress and move forward and it's made me a better mom because i'm learning tolerance and i'm learning grace which i had enough tolerance sure for, for my little humans but grace no, I gave myself no grace. I surely can give you any. You know, I, I had this unrealistic idea of myself just the same as everybody around me. And I had to really get like eye level and, and look at myself and say, okay, that's not really who you are though. Like good and bad. You've got to do a lot of self-development, you know, over the years and learning. And that's definitely helped me. And it's given me the ability to offer my um, enlightened opinion when warranted. You know, I no longer try to micromanage my family because I know what's best for them because I feel like I've been the matriarch for so long that I'm always trying to, you know, tell my brothers and my sister what to do. And they don't always take one of that, which who would? Unsolicited advice, because mm -hmm. people don't want it. You know, it's why it's unsolicited. But I've learned, you know, pause in the moments of panic and breathe and pray a little bit, you know, and call it meditation, call it, you know, manifestation, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's all the same source. We're all reaching out to something beyond ourselves. And that alone has started changing me as a person because I no longer feel as heavy. I feel like I walk towards the light and the closer I walk towards the light, the more I can give out light. You know, it's the same thing feeling from it, giving out from an empty cup. That's all I ever did. And I didn't realize how much I was on like negative, negative, you know, I was barely moving around. And um, so being able to give to myself and, in a way that builds me up on the inside and for me and for others is huge. And that is definitely made me a better mom, a better partner, a better daughter, a better sister, a better friend, you know? Yeah, I think, I think another part to that. The no, saying, go ahead, you go ahead. The, the saying is, it's not thinking less of myself, it's thinking of myself less. So, you know, becoming less selfish yes. and really getting to the root of why I do the things that I do and making sure it does not revolve around me, you know? No, that is, that's so true. And that, that goes into what I was going to say is that being accountable, I feel like is a huge part of that. Once you're self-aware, I think you, it's easier to be accountable. One thing that I'm really proud of as a parent, because I'm not perfect, I definitely do a lot of things back ass, back ass words, back ass, whatever, backwards, um, is that I apologize to my kids constantly. Like I have, 
One of my biggest issues, and it runs in my family, I, I so much of my childhood, I remember my dad just snapping out of nowhere. And it's because, and I, I recognize it now because I'm in the same industry, is that it's just you don't have patience. It just runs after you come home from work. It's just hard to go from the speed of get this done, task, 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 to at home where things are slow. And I catch, I, as I've gotten older, my patience has gotten thinner and, it, and I'm, I've turned to snapping. But the one thing that I have vowed that I will do is I will apologize to my children. I will let them know that I ha do not have all the answers. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm doing my best, but my number one priority is to not to fuck them up as much as I possibly can. So every time I snap on my kids, every time I spank Kenny when I shouldn't have spanked her, I should I could have given her another warning. I I sit down with her, I go, "Mommy messed up. I am so sorry. Can you forgive me?" And then she'll say yes or no. And uh, then we, we hug it out. But I think that that is so important. But I was not able to do that until I was aware of my shortcomings. Yeah, for sure. You know, one of my good girlfriends here who I just I love her so much and I respect her so much and admire her as a mother, as a woman. She explained to me one time that literally, you know, we're all have a glass, right? We're all born with this glass. And our goal, our goal as parents is to not shatter the glass, keep it clean, to not chip it, to not, no smudges on it. But in real life, you know, we're going to smudge the glass, sometimes even crack the glass, you know? And I always said, like, I feel like my mom and my parents just took the glass and threw it against the wall and we're like, good luck, honey. And um, my whole life has been trial and error. And one of my other friends from treatment was like, you know what happens with broken glass, you know, it becomes stained glass and it's beautiful and it's unique. And that was a perspective shift for me. That little just tagline alone just changed the way I thought about my, I still think that I was a shattered glass, but again, perspective, I'm grateful for it. And um, there was something else I wanted to say about what we were just talking about. Oh, my sponsor, you know, I have a lot of revolving insecurities as a mom because I had this idea of being this perfect mom and then I'm like oh I'm not a perfect mom like oh damn you know <laughs> and mm -hmm. but she reminds me all the time that you know when, growing up I didn't feel like there was room for me to have feelings either because my mom was you know she had a lot of things going on she was a single mom she was a survivor of domestic violence in, in two different relationships you know she had survived other things as a little girl and so there wasn't a lot of room for me to have feelings I I thought I felt and, uh, but my sponsor always reminds me that when I'm having my little moments of sadness, I will say to the girls, like, you know what, mommy's just feeling a little sad right now. Like, I need a minute, you know? But I give them, I teach them mechanisms. So, like, sometimes if I'm feeling real pissed, I will sit there and I will breathe and I will not engage with them. And I'll say, mommy is not engaging right now. I need a minute. And I sit and I breathe, you know? And sometimes it takes me three to four minutes. And then other times, like, we'll do a one, two, three scream. And I'll be in the car and I'm like, oh God, okay, they're running late for school. They're not listening to me. And I'm like, girls, I'm going to mommy's going to one, two, three scream before I lose it. I need a moment. I need a learning moment. Right. And I turn the windows down and I scream and they think it's hilarious because it's like, you let out all this energy <laughs> and, then they do. and then they <laughs> laugh, you know, but like I put on music sometimes and I'll just dance around. I'll be like, you know, and they see, they That's see cool. me move through the feelings, which, you know, my sponsor, I always get worried that like. I'm not going to give the girls enough space because my life is not perfect and I'm not all the time okay. And she's like, no, you're doing, you're showing them how to move through these feelings because they're going to have these two one day. You're teaching in healthy ways, healthy ways, how to be like, okay, you know what? I'm feeling kind of sad today. So I know I can't because I have goals and commitments. I can't sit around and mope all day or drink a bottle of wine. I'm going to have to get up and go to my class. So you know what? What can I do to get out of this mood? Or maybe I just go to class in the mood, but you know, make sure I don't spread my negativity to everybody else. You know, so I say I, I advocate for myself and say, hey, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I'm not in the mood today to like socialize. It's nothing against you, but I need a couple of minutes, or I need the class. You know, just chill. But I think that that's really important. And once again, that goes back to being able to express themselves. I, you know, my daughters are so expressive in so many ways, and I don't want to silence that in any kind of way or minimize that or diminish it in any fashion or form. And just because I, I can truly recognize now that a lot of times, like you mentioned about work, my frustrations, my stress, my anxiety is not at all related to them. It's nine times out of 10, something else. And then they just pull the trigger. You know, I'm already over the hill and I'm going down that fast, you know? And again, yeah. sobriety and different mechanisms that I learned have taught me the ability to pause, you know? And that feelings are not facts and they will pass baby girl if you let them, you know, if you let go. Yes, I love that. And I love you and thank you 
so much for coming. We almost didn't make this happen, but I'm glad I guilted you into it. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate you. I know you really did. I'm impressed with your setup. It's definitely top three that we've had so far. So super <laughs> thankful that you knew how to make the lighting work. But that is another episode of Failure Friday. And I look forward to seeing you this weekend and talking more. What, where, if people wanted to connect with you, would that be okay about what we talked about today? Yeah. And um, how I would you prefer to connect? The best and, you know, least like you can have my number kind of ways, Instagram. I mm-hmm. think that's a great way to just message me. Um, I do a lot of work with the domestic violence shelter here in Jacksonville. And uh, so that's another, like, definite resource if anybody took anything from this and is suffering or living in any sort of fear like please don't hesitate to reach out you don't have to reach out to me you can reach out to anybody but reach out speak your truth um my instagram is shanae c-h-a-n-a-e dot jasmine j-a-s-m-i-n-e and i will definitely reach out all right yep we'll link you in here and again love you so much and i'll talk to you later night night Mm -hmm.